This is Katrin with Disability Rights New York. Welcome to our podcast, Empire State of Rights, where we bring you information on the most relevant topics regarding disability rights and advocacy. Today, we welcome DRNY staff attorney, Jared Barrett, to discuss what a traumatic brain injury or TBI is and available services and accommodations. Jared, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And so we're going to talk about a pretty big topic um, in a way that we can get as much information, general information out to our audience. And so those of uh, for those who are tuning in right now, and they may not know what a, what a traumatic brain injury is or a TBI, let's start at the very beginning. Sure. Yeah, so a TBI is an injury to the brain, um, specifically one from an outside force. So uh, an illness that you have that just affects your brain isn't usually counted. Um, and they're classified as either mild, moderate, or severe. So like a concussion is a, a generally a mild TBI. And so when I think about concussions, and um, it's possible that people in our audience will also know someone who's had a concussion at one time or another, um, when you say that they maybe... Uh, an injury may or may not be classified. Uh, oftentimes, uh, when we talk about concussions and TBIs, is there a direct relation? Is is it something that we'll always be looking at or not necessarily? Um, not sure I actually understand what you're okay, so. Yeah, and, and thank you for that. So I think about someone who maybe fell and hit their head um, while working on something and they get a concussion. Is that something that is then classified as a TBI or not necessarily? Right. So it would still be considered a TBI. It's just that's why they have those categories. So generally someone with a TBI that has lasting injuries, that's usually going to be in the moderate or severe category. Whereas a concussion, I've, I've actually had a concussion as well from sports. Uh, in high school. And so those concussions that last, you know, a couple days of, of, of symptoms before you're kind of back on your feet, that would fall in the mild category, but would still be considered a TBI. Okay, great. Thank you so much for that clarification. And so let's talk about some of the experiences a person who has been diagnosed with a TBI might have. And let's talk about them in terms of the categories that you just talked about. Right. So because a TBI affects, you know, the brain and it's the main control center of our bodies, there's really sort of any kind of, of result from it. It, it spans a wide range of possibilities because the brain controls everything. Um, and it really depends on what area of the brain has been affected and how badly. Um, but the, the things that I've experienced a lot, uh, working in this position, is uh, dizziness, nausea, sensitivity to light, um, frequent migraines and headaches are very common um, and effects on their memory, their concentration, and their ability to regulate their emotions or their voice. And so the other thing I suppose we should talk about is that as varied as these experiences can be, are as varied as the people who are um, being diagnosed with a with a TBI. So oftentimes these are going to be specific to one person, as you said, the um, the area of the brain and also the person. Is that correct? Right. I mean, they are they're very unique. Um, I've kind of described TBI as like the jack of all trades of disabilities because 
the way it affects that person is so wide ranging and so different that even if you have, you know, similar symptoms to someone else, your experience can still be completely different in recovery in in certain things that you choose to do to self-accommodate. It's, it's very unique to the person. Right. And are there disability benefits that are available for those people after they've been diagnosed with a TBI? And let's talk a little bit about the steps to receiving available benefits, especially obviously in New York state, because that's where we are. Right. So uh, as far as financial benefits, you know, social security is, is what everyone thinks of first. And there's two main programs under there. There's SSDI and SSI. So the main difference is that SSI is what's called needs-based. They're going to look at how much income you earn um, and how much you have in savings and decide that plus your disabilities and its symptoms, uh, whether you're eligible for financial benefits through SSI. SSDI is sort of the one that you, you pay into essentially, um, working jobs that are taxed, portions of those taxes go into paying for the SSDI program. And so if you have worked, you know, a certain number of years, you could qualify for benefits through SSDI. And so in regards to to signing up for benefits or applying for them, uh, your local social security office can usually help you start that process. Uh, You can also go online to social security's website and create what's called a My SSA account. You basically create a login with your own personal information and you can submit applications through there. You can um, monitor their progress in that in that application process. And there's a lot of other things you can do through the MySSA website. And so let's talk about another really valuable resource offered in New York State. It's the TBI Medicaid Waiver Program. Let's talk a little bit about this. And can you start by telling us a little bit about what this program is and what services it offers? Right. So the TBI waiver program is based through Medicaid. Um, Every state kind of has their own unique Medicaid-based programs. And in New York, we have what is called the TBI waiver program. Um, It specifically offers services for people with TBIs uh, in order to live safely in their home and in the community. That sometimes takes the form of, you know, at-home care, uh, nurses that might come for a couple hours a time, to provide different um, services. It can also involve community programs, um, certain therapy programs and and things of those nature. There's a a few different varieties really. Um, And you can apply for that through your local regional resource development center, uh, which is a bit of a mouthful, but (laughs) if if you just throw that into a search engine, it can usually find where your local center is for for your area, because there's a few set up throughout New York. And I'll let our audience know that we will be putting the links to these resources in the notes of the podcast. So while we have a lot of information that Jara is definitely putting together for us, we will have the links for you. So thank you for that. And then um, with New York State, another program that we have besides the TBI waiver program is a very similar one called the Nursing Home Transition and Diversion Program, uh, or NHTD. And they both offer similar services. There's often similarities in the requirements to be eligible, um, but it can be slightly different. And 
again, your, your local RRDC could help with that as well. And so as we talk about these, um, all the things that you can apply for that we just talked about, uh, if there's, if someone needs assistance in filling out these applications or these forms, or even connecting to the websites, are there places and people that can help with this? Oftentimes, you know, we find these forms and they're filled with information and somebody may not know what to do with everything. Talk to us if you can about any resources, of course, including DRNY, uh, where if you need help filling these things out, it's available. Yeah. So with DRNY, we can often, you know, point the way or, you know, provide referrals to other programs, but that, that local regional resource development center, the RRDC, they, um, they have multiple employees there that will help with your application process and walking you through those steps. Um, it's, it's usually just the, the form and then there's a bit of uh, medical screening involved, but that is something that they can help walk through um, in order to, to streamline that process for you. Good information. Thank you so much. And so let's talk a little bit about age, right? Um, as we were talking about before, um, you have experienced a concussion in sports. Um, and I'm guessing that may have been like within your teenage years. And also there are children that can get TBIs, right? So a TBI is not something that is um, is restricted to just one age. As you said, it is the jack of all trades. So it can also um, affect really anyone. So let's talk a little bit about the differences, not only in services, um, but also diagnosis with people um, in age ranges. There's So what is available to someone who um, is, is not yet 18 and someone who is, in fact, over? Right. So in uh, New York and actually in a lot of states, the TBI waiver programs sort of separate uh, individuals based on when they receive their TBI. So if you're under 18, often you're going to be classified as someone with a developmental disability. And that kind of goes into the science of the brain still developing when it's injured and how that kind of affects the healing process, as opposed to an adult with a brain that has finished forming, um, being injured and then healing. So, and, so, and if I can interrupt you, I'm sorry. This, uh, my, my thought is, so you said it is when you were diagnosed with the age at which you were diagnosed with. Is there ever a situation where that changes? So maybe you were diagnosed with TBI prior to the age of 18. And then are there circumstances that ever change that changes the eligibility for benefits as you get older? Or is that really the, the barometer or the test for when you or where you get services from? Well, so it's not necessarily always when you're diagnosed, because sometimes you have an individual that received one very young and the doctors didn't really classify it properly as a TBI, but the medical records show that it was in fact a TBI. Um, so it, it definitely is more defined by when you, when you sustain that injury. Um, and so if you are under that age of 18, you would qualify in New York state through the Office of Persons with Developmental Disabilities, another long acronym, OPWDD, instead of the TBI waiver program. But the services offered are often still very similar. Um, it's just a, a slight difference in categorization. Okay, great. Thank you. 
And so let's talk about accommodations. We've had a couple of different conversations recently with uh, staff throughout DRNY about what accommodations are to begin with and how varied they are. So let's talk about the the accommodations that are available for people with TBI to request. And we'll talk about some of the examples and then how do we go about requesting these accommodations? Right. Um, Well, so because TBI is that jack of all trades and because you often receive a TBI with other injuries, um, you know, one of the most common ways to receive a TBI is in a car accident. And so often you also have other injuries to your body. And because of that and the healing process, your accommodations can look very different. Sometimes they're solely, you know, uh, related to mental symptoms that you might be facing, issues with memory and, and concentration. They might also be more physical based because that has been affected both by either an injury to that specific part of the body and or um, an injury to your brain and, and the way that's healing together. So I've, I've helped with uh, modifications to have a shower changed to be a, um, a wheelchair accessible shower because a, a wheelchair is now needed where it wasn't before. Um, But sometimes accommodations have taken the form of uh, making sure that there is an agenda, just forgot the word there for a second, a written agenda for a meeting ahead of time so that someone with a TBI can properly prepare for what the meeting is going to be about, Um, that it might take longer for them to go through certain files or notes. And so they need that extra bit of sort of warning ahead of time in order to be as prepared as someone who might not have a TBI and and doesn't have those kinds of symptoms. And I think that's a great um, example that you just shared with us because things often change, right? As we grow as humans, things, our needs are going to change uh, where we are in our lives, whether it's where we work or where we live. Um, As we age uh, and things change, our accommodations uh, and the needs for them are going to change. So when we're talking about applying for them, is is that a, a, a regular occurrence where someone says, you know, to begin with, this was the accommodation because it was necessary for X. And now uh, do we file a new accommodation for something that may be necessary as someone grows? Like as you were talking about now, um, having a wheelchair accessible shower, is that a pretty common occurrence? Well, so there's no specific timeline that you have to request an accommodation. You could have been working at the same job for five years, and now you might need an accommodation that you'd never asked for before. And that's still allowed. It's not like there's a at the beginning or not at all kind of cutoff there. Um, so yeah, there it is decently common that that new or different accommodations might be required, especially because of these advancements that we're seeing with technologies. Um, there might be an accommodation that works better for you that wasn't in existence two years before. So, And that's a good point, too. I mean, we talk about technology and the things that are available from year to year. There may be something that becomes available that would be helpful as an accommodation that wasn't before. And so in terms of uh, what you were just saying, like there's no beginning and end, there's also not a one and done, right? Like, oh, well, you filed an accommodation before, (laughs) you can't file another one. Um, You certainly are able to file another accommodation uh, when when you need one. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And so let's talk about some of the pretty common ones that you've seen while you've been working with uh, working here at DRNY. Right. So some of the common ones I have seen are that request for a written agenda. Um, sometimes there's requests for uh, specific scheduling accommodations um, because of, of the nature of, of certain brain injuries, certain times of day might be better for you cognitively. And so you might request the accommodation that you're only put onto morning shifts or you're only put onto evening shifts, however that might work for you. Um, one person that I uh, worked with, their vision was extremely affected by their injury and they they weren't blind, but they were low vision. And so reading a regular sized font became extremely difficult for them where it hadn't been before. And so going forward, I made sure to send emails in a much larger font because you can pretty easily change the font size of your email. It's just not something we normally think about, but, um, you know. And so when we're talking about accommodations and how they can possibly change, it's also um, good to know and to think about as people in the lives of someone who has a TBI, that some of those uh, changes and accommodations um, are going to be necessary. And like you said, maybe these are things that we wouldn't necessarily have thought about before. And so, you know, then it comes to the the overarching issue of communication, right? Talking about what is needed and um, and how to be helpful. And let's talk about that process, right? Where, like you said, you know, we're, we're talking about um uh, things that are going to be varied from all the way, you know, from a uh, larger font to shower accommodations. Um, so when someone is going to file uh, for an accommodation or request one, I should say, um, where are they, where are they requesting those and who do they request them to? So that's going to depend on what, you know, if we're looking at a, a housing accommodation, that might be going through a building manager or a landlord. Um, if you're talking about an employment accommodation, that's likely going to go through HR. Um, a testing accommodation, there's usually a, a disability department in that testing center or that testing company. Um, mainly, I they will often give a procedure that they want you to follow in regards to requesting accommodation. And while I absolutely recommend following that procedure if you can, uh, the ADA and the Justice Department has made it clear that that is not a reason for them to deny you an accommodation, that you didn't follow XYZ is not an okay reason to say no to your accommodation. Um, and in fact, there's very infrequently a reason to just say a flat out no. So when you request an accommodation, you're really asking what is the issue being caused by your disability and what is going to help it. And if the exact thing that you think will help it can't be given by the workplace, the apartment, whatever it might be, they can't just say no. They're supposed to work with you to then find something that will still address that issue. So, uh, an example that I'd seen in a, in a case, actually, there was someone that requested an accommodation for an exam and they were blind. They'd requested a Braille version of the exam. And the testing center said that that was too expensive to do that. You know, this 60 page exam in Braille was not within the realm of what they could do. 
but they couldn't just leave it at that. And so the accommodation they gave instead was a private room and someone that could read the exam to the the person taking the test and mark down the answers that they chose for them. So you still have to accommodate the issue, even if the first request isn't something that um, who you're requesting from could do without what's called an undue burden. Got it. And so let's talk a little bit about what services that DRNY offers regarding the protection and advocacy for people with traumatic brain injuries. Well, so with DRNY, we're generally looking for uh, something that you might need legal assistance on that's specifically related to your disability. And because TBI can affect so many different parts of your life, that can really be a wide range of things. Um, I've helped a lot with requesting reasonable accommodations at work and in exams and that negotiation process if their accommodation was denied. Um, we've also helped with different issues related to the TBI waiver program. Uh, for instance, if you know they decide for certain reasons that they're going to remove you from services, there is a certain amount of appeal process and like paperwork that they have to go through. They can't just kick you off. And so we can often help with that, that appeals process. Um, I've also helped with transfers for housing and related to Section 8 programs. Um, uh, it's honestly a very wide variety of issues depending on what the problem is. And so let's talk about any resources that people are will be available to people if there are additional questions regarding uh, TBI from DRNY. Yeah, so DRNY has created some of our own um, materials. For instance, we have the Veterans Toolkit online, um, and that kind of gives a wide overview of discharge upgrades, um, which is a very TBI-focused issue. Um, a lot of times veterans are removed from service for behaviors resulting from their TBI, and they're given a discharge you know, other than honorable that does not reflect the quality of their service and does not reflect that the reason they were discharged was because of their disability. So there's ways to, to try and, um, you know, petition for that to be changed uh, to reflect that it was a, a disability related discharge. But um, we've also worked to compile resources from a lot of other providers. Uh, there's the manual for the TBI waiver that kind of overviews the, the process, all of the different elements in regards to paperwork and changing providers and, and all the nuances there. Um, materials from New York's independent living centers, uh, ADA guides that the Justice Department has put out and, and things like that. So we do have like a wide range of materials that we've kind of gathered to help with a variety of questions. Sure, thank you so much for sharing all of those resources. And again, we will put the links uh, to all of them in the notes for the podcast. And before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us or let our audience know about in terms of TBI? Yeah, so like many disabilities, it can be impossible to tell if someone you meet has had a TBI. And it leaves this idea that they're not very common. Um, you know, we, we really only see them in like the movies when you've got amnesia and then it's magically fixed at the end of two hours. But the CDC's most recent statistics showed that there were over 200,000 hospitalizations related to TBI in 2019. Uh, and that's not accounting for TBIs that weren't treated or were treated in the ER and didn't require hospitalization. So 
they happen a lot more often than people might think. And it, it never hurts to be more knowledgeable about them. It's a lot of great information, and I really appreciate you sharing it with us. I'm sure we're going to revisit this topic again. Um, Jared, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for, for taking the time to talk about this. Empire State of Rights has been brought to you by Disability Rights New York, your source for disability rights and advocacy. If you enjoyed our program, make sure to subscribe, like, and share this post. The video for this episode is available on our YouTube channel with closed captioning and ASL interpretation. If there is a subject you would like us to discuss, please email podcast at drny.org or comment below. For more Empire State of Rights, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.